0: Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew 24. We have been in Matthew 24 for some weeks now and as I told you before, uh, it's kind of interesting how when we start to see scripture as a whole, we can begin to see and unpack the reality that uh, all of scripture ultimately points back to the good news, the gospel of which we're celebrating the peak of today, this reality of the resurrection in which we are given the promise of life. Apart from the resurrection, there is no life. Now, as we jump into this, I want you to uh, step back a minute and think about something, okay? I want you to think for a moment about the longest road trip that you have ever taken. Now, some of you May not have yet had the joy of taking the longest road trip with children. And some of you have. And one of the things that it reveals is a a true test of how patient you really are. Because uh, it almost never fails that ten minutes into the trip, your kids begin to say, are we there yet? Are we there? Are we there now? And the longer you get into the trip, the more you begin to hear these things, or you begin to hear more frequent uh instances of I need to use the bathroom or I'm hungry or uh when are we gonna stop next? Are we there yet? Over and over and over again. Have you ever experienced this? Anyone ever experienced? Yeah, see, we're in good company, right? And uh I I can I can recall two very different types of ...road trips or trips in general in my life. Ones that were taken with just my wife and I... ...and then ones with my children. And they're different. They're very different. Naturally speaking... ...you and I are not... ...everyone say not. We are not good at waiting. We are not good at being patient... ...and waiting for what's yet to come. And yet... The biblical call for the follower of Jesus is to do just that. It's to be waiting, but to be waiting actively. And we can see this tension and this struggle throughout Scripture that the people of God struggled to wait. And even the story of Christ's death and resurrection, there was this eager longing and waiting for the Messiah for years, hundreds of years to come. And then Jesus comes and there's whole groups of people that believe Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And they go, yes, we're there. And then Jesus is arrested and crucified. And so you can in a moment almost feel the weight of the burden on the people and especially the disciples and those who walked with Jesus to go, this is not what we had in mind. The reality is that in the day in which we live, we often feel the same way, don't we? Where we look around us and we see all oh, that's happening and we may step back and we go, Ah, oh, this is not what we had imagined. And yet, the hope of the resurrection is constant regardless of what we experience today. Amen? Because it's rooted in what God in Christ has done, not in what you and I experience here. And so when we come to Matthew 24 where Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples and he's telling them about what is going to come before the end. Here's what you should expect in your waiting. We see a roadmap of sorts and yet you and I, much like... Young children on a long road trip often find ourselves going, Are we there yet? Have we made it? Is it soon? And if we're not careful, we can become so focused on the not there yet that we miss the power of the present through the resurrection of Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to start at verse 3 of Matthew 24. And I'm going to read all the way through verse 14. And we're going to focus on a hopeful section. But before we get to the hope in 13 and 14, we have to understand the weightiness of what Jesus tells his disciples. So in verse 3 it says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Everyone say, not For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Now at the end of that, you might be going, oh. And then in verse 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Father, as we navigate this today, may you be glorified and may we leave here with a hope that is rooted in the power of the resurrection of Jesus And may you fix our eyes more fully on him as we encounter the seasons and the times that we're in today. For your glory above all else, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now for clarification, at the point that Jesus is talking with his disciples here, he has not yet risen. In fact, he's not yet even died when he's having this conversation. He's discussing with his disciples the answer to two specific questions that we saw in verse 3. And his disciples still really have no idea about what is going to happen. What is just about to happen to Jesus in the coming days. Even though Jesus has made this clear to them. He said multiple times, I'm not always going to be with you. I'm going to be delivered over. Like he repeats this multiple times and yet they still didn't get it. Similar to the reality of how often you and I hear the same commands of scripture and we go, yes, the Bible says this. Yes, Jesus says this. But in our day to day, we fail to really truly hear and follow through. So we can imagine the surprise of the disciples when Jesus began to tell them all that is going to take place before the end truly comes. Because here here they're thinking Jesus is going to rule. He's going to reign right here, right now. He is the Messiah. He's going to lead us in conquest over Rome. This is going to be the end right here. And now Jesus says all these things are going to happen before the end. Political upheaval, natural disasters, persecution, death, hate, all for the name of Jesus. Essentially, Jesus tells them, be prepared for the worst. But, everyone say but. That but at the end, at the beginning of verse 13, changes the tone. Because up to this point... Everything Jesus has talked about has been somewhat discouraging and, man, these are not things to look forward to. All the way to the point of some of you will be killed for the name of Jesus. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This transitional element, right in the midst of Jesus' words, it changes the dynamic. All at once we move from this discouragement and depressing reality. After another, to this momentary interjection in the midst of Jesus' answer, and it reveals that there is hope. Everyone say hope. There is hope. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, what does endurance look like? Because if we're really honest, endurance in the midst of all that's happening often looks like we're just existing. We're just getting by for now. We're just kind of living life as it comes and oh, wave after wave and we just kind of live discouraged. And yet, enduring from a biblical perspective is thriving in the midst of adversity. In fact, The letter that James wrote to the church in Jerusalem, he says specifically, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And he talks about that these trials of your faith are going to develop perseverance in you and that perseverance must must have its full work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Matthew 5.11, Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you. And persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed, deeply, joyful. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter writes, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And so there's this concept, biblically, that when I'm enduring, I should be enduring with hope. If I'm really a follower of Jesus, then no matter what I face in the midst of this world, I know that I can endure with hope that cannot be taken away. And that hope is rooted in the power of the resurrection of Jesus that He proved once and for all that death cannot defeat what God in Christ has done. But that Jesus lives. Everyone say He lives And because he lives, I can face tomorrow with an endurance and a hope that does not change because it's rooted in Christ and in Christ alone. Now, there's some questions we can ask in this, and I want to walk through those with you as we think about Jesus' words here, specifically in verse 13 that the one who endures to the end will be saved. Well, first off, what am I to endure? And the reality of this is, I I am called to endure the hardships that come for the name of Jesus. Now, we can fully recognize that at times we put ourselves in hard places. Where we make bad decisions and there's consequences for our actions. And as a follower of Christ... We're called to endure those things too, but ultimately the call to endurance is you're to endure whatever persecution or reviling or slander may come as a result of you living for the name of Jesus. That I'm to endure these things. What, is, what does that even look like? Where in Scripture does it even identify that endurance is a part of this? In 1 Corinthians 13, we often quote this passage at weddings to focus on love. But one thing we tend to miss is this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 is directed to the church. Everyone say the church. It's, It's focused on the church at Corinth. In other words, this is the call of those who are living together in unity, a unity that's brought by Christ. And in the middle of this, he says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and what? Endures all things. Now biblically, we know that the model for love is who? It's, it's God himself. First John tells us God is love. And the very model for what love is to look like, agape love, the kind of love that Jesus showed us, is the example of Christ giving his life for sinners. And in the same way, the church has a calling to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things together. Why? Because Christ has already endured our penalty for us. We're called to endure the hardships that come for the name of Jesus. Some of you may have experienced this already. Some of you are going to experience this in the days ahead. Are you ready to step out in endurance, recognizing what God in Christ has done for you? Secondly, how should I endure? You endure through the reminder of what you have been given in Jesus. So often, you and I focus on something else to get by the season that we're in. Sometimes we choose to focus on the past. I'm going to endure this season by remembering what once was. Sometimes we endure by just drilling into the present. I'm just going to distract myself with busyness. That's a pervasive issue around us. And so we just fill our calendars and our schedules so we don't have to think about everything else that we're struggling with or dealing with. I have a tendency to do that. Other times, we seek to endure just by surrounding ourselves with people that keep our minds off of what is happening around us. And we just strive forward, whether that's family or friends or co-workers. I don't want to think about today, so I'm just going to drown out the noise. And yet, what do we see? We see so many people who are anxious and depressed, who are suffering from all of these Thoughts they don't know how to deal with. And and trying to numb them away with various entities. And yet, our call as as followers of Christ is to endure. How? By remembering what Christ has already endured for us. You understand, church. This reality... Do you fully grasp the depth that because of what Christ has endured on your behalf, you will not have to endure the same? What does that mean? Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is, in Christ, through the blood of the spotless Lamb, the final atoning sacrifice of Jesus and His resurrection, we are not only cleansed from our sin, but we're given a eternal hope rooted in His resurrection that no one can diminish. And because He endured the suffering of the cross, you and I, can walk in freedom. Everyone say freedom. Freedom. And yet so often we put ourselves back in bondage because it's the way we try to cope with the circumstances around us. Hebrews 12, verse 3 says, Consider him who endured such hostility against himself. Why? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Because Jesus has gone before you and He won. Philippians 3 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Whew, That's heavy. But, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. How should I endure? I should endure through the reminder of what I have been given in Christ. That's what we celebrate today. That's why we celebrate each and every year at this season. And some of you may ask this question, how long, how long do I have to endure these things before I can just throw in the towel and be done? And the truth of this, the biblical truth of this, is God has numbered your days and the call to endure is a call to endure until the end. Matthew 24:13 but the one who endures to the end everyone say the end the one who endures to the end will be saved. 1 Corinthians 4 says, To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. This is Paul talking about what they're experiencing. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And you know what? Paul counted it as gain. To suffer for the name of Jesus. Why? Because he knew his inheritance was not here. So he endured. You think about that. You think about just the the life of the Apostle Paul. This man who was called out. Directly by God on the road to Damascus. A man who was killing. Literally killing followers of Jesus. And God calls this man out to become a follower of Jesus. And then he spends the rest of his life sacrificing his own self for the sake of the gospel. Being stoned, being ridiculed, being thrown out of towns, left for dead multiple times, shipwrecked, traveled all over. Why? For the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something powerful about the testimony of the Apostle Paul when you consider the fact that at any point in time, he could have just decided, you know what, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. I've been stoned one too many times. It's enough. I'm tired of this. And yet he endured. Why? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. And that power is unlike anything else that we can find here on this earth. It's uncomparable. Now, what does the end mean? Well, We don't know. Scripture tells us no one knows the day or the hour that Christ is going to return. It may be until Jesus returns. That's your call to endure. Or it may be to the end of your earthly life until you take your last breath. The call on the follower of Christ does not change until they stand face to face with Him in glory. And that's what we strive for. That's where we're to fix our eyes. And endure all that's taking place because my inheritance is secure if I am in Christ. Only if I am in Christ. Now, in the waiting, what do you do? Anytime you go on a long trip, if you're wise, especially if you have kids, you prepare a lot of activities. Or at least have something in the back of your mind to go. This will keep them occupied. And uh modern day, a lot of parents are spoiled because kids have screens. When I was growing up, we didn't have screens. We didn't have a DVD player in the car. You want to talk about some long road trips. And that's from the kid's perspective. I'm talking from the kid's perspective. I don't even want to think about what my parents dealt with. Okay? So... Oftentimes, our waiting for Jesus to come and our enduring can kind of feel like pre-digital age road trip. We're going, how much of this are we going to do? What, what else is there to do? We've got to find something to do. I mean, ah, This is taking forever. And yet, the call on us as the church stays the same. Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 28, after He rose again, Go, make disciples of all nations. Everyone say all. All. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you, how long? Even to the end of the age. He's present. So we're not alone. We're not enduring this alone. When we're in Christ. Matthew 24 verse 14. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. As a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now many people debate and speculate. What does is, what is the whole world look like here? Is he just talking to the disciples about their circle of where they would go? What does is, what is that look like As far as an exact amount of the world, because we believe Jesus could return whenever He chooses to return. And yet, the call on the church is to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. We still have to resonate with the truth that we do not know the time of His return. We anticipate that time together, but we do not know. And yet, church there are billions of people who are still unreached to this day. Most people don't realize this. In fact, if you want some really powerful and sobering statistics, go to the Joshua Project website and look at their statistics on unreached people groups. Just a couple for us to consider on this resurrection day. According to the Joshua Project, there are over over 7,000 1,000 unreached people groups to this day. Those are people groups, not people. Another statistic here is taking the number of people in those groups, there is estimated to be over 3 billion unreached people. That's over 3 billion people who have not heard the message of the gospel today. And here we are, <laughs> having direct access, many of you, multiple copies of the Word of God in your own homes. And this is why our mission here is not just to be here, but it's to support those who are all over the world. People in Bible translation, people in cultures that do not have the Gospel People in places where the gospel is not allowed, and yet they're making ripples and leading people to faith in Christ. Why? Why this risk? Why this danger? Because there's power in the resurrection of Jesus, unlike anything else in the world. And so in our waiting, our call, is to proclaim this message, this good news, that we have a Savior who is not some dead guy who wrote some nice words at some point in history, but is a living Savior who is interceding on our behalf to God the Father. Paul encourages Timothy in this way where he says, you, Be sober-minded in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We have a call to do that. And all the more as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday and as we prepare to go out from this place, that's where the rubber meets the road and where true work begins for the church. It's not here. It's out there. And by out there, I don't just mean Canton. I don't just mean Fulton County. I don't just mean the state of Illinois. I don't just mean the United States of America. I mean the world. Our call is to go into all the world and proclaim that Jesus is alive. A living hope. Everyone say living. So when we think about all of this, At the end of the day, this is what I want you to walk away from here understanding. True, lasting endurance is rooted in the finished work and power of Jesus. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, there's people who could take that a whole bunch of different directions. Ultimately... For the follower of Jesus, as Jesus is communicating this to His disciples, He is giving them a reason to endure. The promise, the hope for the follower of Christ is there is salvation. And in this moment, he's not simply speaking about some decision you make to follow Jesus. He's talking to the disciples who are already following him. He's saying there is physical saving from the pain you are experiencing today if you are in Christ. And that physical salvation may not come while you're here. That is, it may not happen that you pray and pray and pray and pray and and the Lord delivers you from your earthly pain or trial that you are experiencing right now. That is not promised. In fact, the Apostle Paul even identified, I've prayed to the Lord multiple times for this thorn in my side to go away and yet, it's not. And what does he say? I'm going to rejoice in my weakness for when I am weak, then I am strong. Talk about endurance. You want an endurance motto, that is it alright Lord, I'm enduring this, I feel so small and helpless, and yet when I am weak, I know I am strong because I am dependent on you. Lasting endurance is rooted in the finished work and power of Jesus. Some of you have endured much and yet may have endured for the wrong reasons. Some of you have endured the loss of much, but you endure with your eyes set on an earthly comeback. The resurrection cannot guarantee an earthly comeback. Some of you have endured years of debilitating pain or illness, and you endure for the hope that you will be able to once again enjoy the pleasures of earthly living, family, activity, labor. The resurrection cannot guarantee that. Some of you endure now the trials of this age, whether that is social, political, relational, or otherwise. And your endurance is motivated by dreams of a more peaceful world. A hope for a better tomorrow. And let me tell you that the resurrection does guarantee that, but not in the way that you may think. The resurrection of Jesus confirms the hope that we have been given. The resurrection of Jesus solidifies our confidence in that which we do not yet see. The resurrection of Jesus is the very means by which we can come before God in prayer and in worship. Because it means that in Christ, the death that sin brings has no power over Him. These dry bones wandering in the wilderness are brought to life because no matter how hard death itself tried, it could not overcome the life-giving power of Jesus. In John 11, Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Romans 6 verse 4 says, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 1 Peter 1 3 says, Blessed to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Everyone say living. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Everyone say, there is hope. hope. We're going to say that again. Everyone say, "There there is hope. There is hope because Jesus is alive. I want you to understand that when we gather together each week, we do so. With the goal of celebrating and reminding each other of what God has done and is doing. So that for the person who has experienced God's healing work in their lives, we celebrate together. For the person who is enduring the intense trial of grieving physical loss, they aren't grieving alone. For the person who's hit rock bottom in their lives to see that we serve a God who can turn the darkest of days into dancing. For us to recognize and know that the resurrection of Jesus reveals that there is undeniable power. Everyone say power. Power. Undeniable power in His name. But to recognize that the power in Jesus' name is the power to heal eternally. It's the power to bring us into right relationship with the Father when we truly deserve death. It's the power to redeem that which in culture's view is a lost cause and make them royalty. It's the power to establish a new world with Jesus as its king. That is, not yet, but it's coming. Until that day, church, let us endure with joy. Let us be a people who waits patiently, eagerly, and actively on the day of our redemption. Being ever ready to share in the hope that is within us through the power given to us through the resurrection of Jesus. He is risen! risen. Father, we praise You because in Jesus You have given us life. And so we worship Your holy name because we do not deserve what You have given to us. Father, may you humble us now, motivate us by the reminder of the resurrection to go and carry out the mission that you have already commanded us to do. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus.